Now back to 95.7 The Game. We're just getting word of a rather significant brouhaha in Major League Baseball today. Evan Giddings, Whitey Gleason on 95.7 The Game. And Evan, not to put you on the spot here, I don't know how much you've had a chance to see. I just saw some of the video here. The Angels and the Mariners getting into something that for for a baseball fight, that was was pretty extreme. Yeah, that was pretty. Probably the worst one I've seen in a while as far as the amount of fists being thrown and the length in which the fight was. Jesse Winker just got hit by, I honestly don't even know the pitcher, his first name, Wentz. Carson. Carson went. (laughs) Carson should have went. And so he just got plugged, and then it sounded like, you know, he didn't like it, obviously. The pitcher didn't really diffuse the situation by giving a my bad, and it sounded like somebody started chirping from the Angels' dugout. And I know these teams are division rivals, but Winker's only been there for one year. So I, I'd imagine there had to be something off the field that contributed to hmm. that blow-up that happened because Winker just took off and, you know, he didn't go full. Um, I, I forget the Reds pitcher who just jumped into the, the Pittsburgh Pirates' dugout. Uh, but it was it was pretty close to that with the amount of haymakers that he was throwing. Yeah, so we'll see uh, what um, results from all that. But, yeah, it's actually, and I had to look it up, but Andrew Wantz is the uh, Angels hurler involved. W-A-N-T-Z, Andrew Wantz. Yeah, don't piss me off, Whitey. I'm going to go full <laughs> winker on you. All right. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, uh, Giants are getting beaten up themselves here. We'll have more on that as uh, that game unfolds there. But my goodness, uh, Evan, we're you know we're not going to talk a lot about the Giants here until they're all, all wrapped up. But you're playing a team like the Reds. You got to take advantage of that, brother. They did yesterday and today. They they fell back into the fine category that we were talking yesterday. I mean, I know they lost like three in a row coming into to yesterday, but I. I thought that they were going to get back on track, but you know, since he's a scrappy bunch, they can score. I know they don't really have a great pitching staff, but they can put up runs. And for a guy in Anthony, Anthony DiSclefani, who since coming back from injury has been trying to find his stride, I thought that a team like the Reds would be the team to do it against, but it's not Tony Disco anymore. The lights mm-hmm. are out. Let me ask you a question that I asked Dave Fleming on Friday. Is it fair to consider Tommy Pham a slap hitter? <laughs> that's pretty good i what so what i, I want to hear the response from dave what, what, what well i think say? he said he you know the giants clearly didn't want any part of any of this going to this series and everyone got the memo and he just said no i i would really wouldn't say that's fair you know dibs was laughing and then he just kind of he spun it off in another way basically like yeah the giants just didn't want any problems with any of this so yeah i didn't mean to put dave in an awkward spot there but, uh, yeah, clearly neither he nor the Giants wanted any part of that uh, controversy uh, going into this weekend. Red seems like maybe uh, yeah, maybe they had a point to prove. I, I don't know. What? On the text line. Yeah, go ahead, sir. No, I was just going to say, it didn't seem like Fleming wanted to give Fam a backhanded compliment. That's true as well. Uh, 888-957-9570. Real quick on the text line here before we move on. Some interesting thoughts from the smartest listeners on radio. Looney's leadership in the locker room is invaluable. That's worth paying for. Aiton would not take up that role. Yeah, no way is anyone here suggesting, oh, the Warriors should look into DeAndre Aiton. The, The real question there is why is Phoenix so willing to move off of him? I know you wondered about that. Evan, there's there's rumblings 
I don't know how solid they are that uh, Monty Williams just wasn't thrilled with what he was getting from DeAndre Ayton in the in the clutch moments there. Yeah, I don't know if he said it explicitly, but he basically laid out how DeAndre Ayton quit on the team in, in Game 7. And there was some some footage. If you go back and watch the game, you can see once the lead starts to balloon in the favor of the Mavericks, Ayton's not really closing out on shooters. He seems sort of disengaged. And I know he's a young guy, but it is an elimination game, and maybe, you know, potentially... You can't. You don't always get back to that point. Like you're on. You are on the cusp of getting to the conference finals after a finals run yourself the year before, which didn't end how you wanted it to. And so instead of seeing the fight from Aiton and at least trying to go out with some sort of, you know, courage, mm-hmm. he's just giving up on the team. And so I, I don't necessarily knock Monty Williams for if he did say it to the media, but at least. You know, pointing by the fact that he benched him for the second half of that game, saying, hey, young man, like this is not how we act. And if you can't be what we need you to, which is the best version of yourself, confident and not giving up on us, like you might not, you might not be a part of this team. Yeah, I know Detroit was believed to have interest, but uh, after the draft, they apparently don't have as much interest as they did have in DeAndre Ayton. Uh, we'll see. Also on the text line here from the 510, the toughest teams for the Warriors are the ones who flagrant foul them over and over. Yeah, I mean, you beat Bob. Don't worry about it. You beat the Celtics. You, you sent them back to the East Coast tail between their legs. Don't worry about that. From the 408, Curry pointing to the ring finger was an OMG moment. Didn't Curry say that was a call out to Aaron Donald's sack in the Super Bowl? And didn't he say he saw Aaron Donald in the stands? So maybe that would explain some of that. I know we talked about that earlier, Ev. And it, it would be difficult to miss Aaron Donald for, for a couple of reasons. One, he's probably one of the largest humans on, on planet Earth. Two, did you see the chains that that guy was rocking out there near midcourt? I mean, my goodness, if the sun was in there, it would have blinded the entire <laughs> arena. So maybe Steph not only saw him, but he couldn't miss him. And right, I know that Aaron right. Donald had the, you know, the ring thing afterwards yeah. after the Super Bowl. It's kind of yeah. clever. From the 510. Will we see night night during the next election when enough electoral votes come in? I don't know. It depends who wins. There's some candidates I think would be more likely than others to give the old give the old night night. Um, but I don't know how closely they follow the NBA. And finally, from the six five zero, the Phoenix coach Monty Williams actually heard telling Aiton that he quit, and it looks like that's a deal breaker there, Ev. Yeah, that that could have been from the mic'd up and. Uh, I, I know that he didn't say it explicitly in the press conference. That's kind of what I was pointing to. But that's that's a great point by the 650. And I also know that Aiton has been asking for, understandably so, a, a considerable raise for his sure. extension. Sure. And if you're looking at the $15, $16 million range for a center, I know they, the guys, uh, Damon Ratto had Bobby Marks on earlier this week to talk about Looney. But in general, he's saying hey, people don't want to pay big money for centers. And if you're not going to be the player that they need you to, if you're not going to give the effort that they're requiring of you to get to a championship level, then why would I pay you what you want? I can let you walk and I can replace you with you know, JaVale McGee, Bismack Biombo, or some other center who's a cheaper alternative. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. I know Johnston called earlier and asked about teams maybe leaning that way to counter what the Warriors are doing, but you're right. I mean, we see it all over. A guy like Aiton, there was a time in the NBA when teams would be just climbing all over each other to, for a shot to sign a guy like that, and now that type of player, and some of it has to do with his perceived attitude as well, but that type of skill set is just not nearly valued as much as it used to be. The game has changed that much. 
It has, and it is a copycat league. And so I do wonder, not only with the success the Warriors had, but the success that the Celtics had with a guy like Robert Williams III, who is a young, athletic, defensive-minded center who doesn't need the ball, but is also intelligent enough to kind of play within the system. Those centers, much like running backs in the NFL, sort of need to be interchangeable, don't have as long of a shelf life. You don't have to commit to them as long-term as you would to a, a position that isn't as physically demanding. And so I wonder now if Phoenix is saying, hey, like we, we do have DeAndre Aiden. We did use the number one overall pick on him. But we saw a team in Boston that nearly got to where we wanted to, which was beating the Warriors. And they did it with a center that's making $2.5 million. Mm-hmm. I think you touched on one of the most under-discussed aspects of the finals. Um, Robert Williams is a really good player, and he blocked a lot of shots. But the Warriors, basically, because of the, the threat of Boston's bigs, they changed their offense, and they went to a lot more starting in Game 2. They ran a lot more high pick and rolls. And you can look at the box scores. Uh, you probably have better things to do. I don't. I love box scores. I can look at box scores all day long. But if you looked at them, you saw, oh, the Warriors' assist numbers are down. What's wrong? Something's wrong. They're, they don't have as many assists. It's because they were initiating their offense with that high pick and roll more and more and not as much with the pass. And it was to draw those bigs into the pick and roll. And so it was Steph and he, way out high, really high pick and roll. So you'd have either Horford or Robert Williams, and they'd be out way further than they're used to ever guarding anybody. And you could see they they, they weren't comfortable there. How many times did you see Ime Udoka telling Williams, you got to step up, you got to step up. And he's thinking, I never come out this far. What are you talking about? But the Warriors made that adjustment, and it was one of the absolute keys to the series. That's a great observation because it is a small but really important strategic change that they made, especially from the first three games where you saw Robert Williams as an absolute terror on defense, especially on the inside, even if he wasn't, you know, at the rim guarding a Looney or a Draymond, like his ability to defend from the weak side and come out of seemingly nowhere to block, you know, a penetrating Jordan Poole or Wiggins driving to the rim and contesting his layups, like that was very important for Boston. I think gave Golden State a lot of trouble. So for them to be able to make that switch and say, hey, we're just going to take you out from underneath the rim. Horford can be the help defender. Maybe one of your wings can be the help defender. But Robert Williams, you're not going to beat us on defense. And they had him out, you know, near the three-point line, if not way out there. Because you have to respect the range of Curry or Mm -hmm. Clay or Wiggins or Poole. You have to respect that shooting that the Warriors have. And I thought that was a, a, a fantastic way of Kerr trying to at least limit the damage that Williams could do on defense. As far as Looney goes, and I agree with the texter, Looney is uh, near essential to what they, they want to do next year. To me, Av, the fact that the Warriors didn't come close to drafting a center, there were some decent guys available. Uh, uh, Coloco was available. I thought they might have interest in him. The fact that they didn't even look at that, to me, tells me they're really confident that Looney's going to be back, that they're going to be able to keep him. Because they don't have a lot of organizationally. They don't have a lot of size. And you do need, even though as you and I have just been saying, well, size doesn't mean as much, but you want to have some size. So I think they're confident that Wiseman's going to be back. I think they're very, and and ready to play, I think they're very confident they're going to get Looney back. Or my guess is they would have potentially addressed that position in the draft, at least with a, you know, uh, a late pick. Yeah, I, I lean towards that way as well, although I do wonder if them not drafting a center is more of an indicator that they're going to do whatever they can to bring back Kevon Looney, 
or they really think that James Wiseman is ready. And so and we'll see him at Summer League, you know, yeah. coming up next week and so hopefully get a look at the future of the center position for the Warriors that they envisioned for him when they drafted him number 2 overall a couple of years ago. And so, you know, it, it, I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I do think that Looney to the Texter's point is I mean, extremely valuable, if not replaceable, but just because of all that he does for the Warriors system and all that he all the pressure that he alleviates from other players on the team. But I also know that, you know, Joe Lacob is a guy who really is is always been all in on the light years theme. And mm-hmm. this is kind of the next step of that to be able to have his future in Kaminga, in Wiseman, in Moody, and now PB and J to be able to come in and be that next wave of Warriors. And so maybe not drafting a center is kind of clearing the way for a guy that he loves and that we're hoping can be great in James Wiseman. Evan's not a PBJ guy. He's a PBH guy. Peanut butter. Yes, sir. No, P- yeah, peanut butter and honey. Peanut right? butter and peanut honey. honey. Way yeah. to go. Uh-huh. See, I like peanut butter and jam, strawberry jam. The jelly is, mm, I like the jam. It's got to be strawberry nice. Strawberry only? Do you ever go grape? Only if I'm forced to. There's nothing else around, maybe. But, uh, yeah, it's got to be... Got to be strawberry That's how jam. I feel about PB and J's. Yeah. All right. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, here's a trick: if you're, you know, Kavon Looney, and this applies to GP two as well. If you wanted to go somewhere else, and maybe they're fine, they want to stay. But if you wanted to go somewhere else, you got to convince other teams that, oh, what I did for the I, Warriors, I could do that for you too, because it seems so, uh, so perfect for the way the Warriors. Well, their system, for lack of a better term. So that would be difficult. Now, it's not an issue for them if they want to stay here and the Warriors are going to keep them, but that would be tricky, right, to convince another team, oh, I can do what I did for them. I can do it for you, too, even though your roster's not as good as theirs. Yeah, if you look at Kevon Looney and the box scores that I also go through as well. Yes, there you go. The averages don't really stand out as as crazy. Like he played, he averaged about 20, 21 minutes in the regular season that got knocked up a little bit to 21 or 22 on average in the postseason. But if you're his agent, you are selling the individual highlights. Like the game six against Memphis when he's grabbing 22 rebounds. You're grabbing tape from him being able to switch and guard the likes of Luka, guard the likes of Tatum, of Brown. Like Those are the things that I think are transferable no matter what system you're in. And even if Kevon Looney is a, a more effective piece in Golden State, which I think he would be more so than anywhere, if you're trying to sell him and get him money, which he is duly deserved of, that's what the agent is going to other teams with and saying, hey, I know that he might be perceived as a product of the system, and that's why you know he he's able to be as good as he is. But look at this tape. That is something that not every center can do, and that my client can do for you, no matter if we're playing a box in one, a zone, man-to-man, and if we're on offense and he's setting screens or not. Meanwhile, we touched on a story yesterday that we just kind of thought, oh, that's kind of interesting, Jimmy Garoppolo. But the more you look at the way things are going in the NFL – I think there's a really interesting reason why this nugget surfaced yesterday, and you probably saw it. Jimmy Garoppolo to soon begin throwing after off-season shoulder surgery, source says. Yeah, remember we talked about this, Evan, and it's like Jeremy Fowler says, yeah, timetable for throwing for Garoppolo's on schedule. 
All right. Well, I mean, if it's still on schedule, why is that news had the procedure in March? He'll throw over the next few weeks after he's been cleared. Uh, and then maybe, you know, he passes a physical trade market for him could heat up. Where is this coming from? To me, it's coming from the 49ers, right? And they want other teams to know. They want to remind teams that Jimmy's on track and everything's going well. And if you're interested in Jimmy Garoppolo, you better start getting your offers together now. And then also against that backdrop, you have the news from today that the NFL pushing for an indefinite suspension of Deshaun Watson and his contract could actually be delayed a year uh, if he's suspended for the entire season, which would mean the Browns could need a quarterback this year. I just think all these dominoes are starting to fall into place. I think they are, but also the original issue, at least from what I gathered with Garoppolo and his his value, is that the 49ers, kind of similar to what we're talking about with Kevon Looney, like he's more valuable to the 49ers than he is to other teams. And so the 49ers... I don't know if they felt like they were being lowballed with offers, but the trade assets were not coming in in the way that they had hoped for Garoppolo. And so I do see them kind of doing their own PR work here and trying to put it out and remind people that Jimmy G is available. He will be healthy. He will be on track to start this season. But the best, I think the best version of him is a stopgap for someone like like Cleveland or potentially uh-huh. like Carolina. And... But that, that, that doesn't mean that they have to pay for him. So to me, still, the, the big issue, like the crux of the issue with Jimmy Garoppolo is not that he can't help a team. He may not be the greatest quarterback in the world, but he can absolutely win you games. But the question is, how much will the 49ers want from him? And they're, they're going to have to come down from their, their mountain of second round, you know, multiple picks in the second or third and fourth region. Like They might have to take a sixth for Jimmy G, and I don't know if they'll be willing to do that. From the 510. I don't know how you can sell any team that watched the playoffs last year and coming off an injury and having to learn a new system to give up anything for Jimmy. And the 49ers have to point out to your point, Evan, they have to point out to other teams that, hey, you know what, this guy is valuable, and they have to try to, try to create some demand, pardon me. A team that uh, would take on the salary um, could actually try to get Jimmy to agree to an extension that would knock down that salary in exchange for guarantees. But yeah, for this to work out the way the 49ers still want it to work out at this point, and I agree, um, there's, a, there's a slimmer window there than there was. They're going to have to have a couple teams that are interested. Um, it looks like Seattle still may be interested in Mayfield. So if that happens, I could see how maybe Cleveland would want him. But you're right, if I'm Cleveland, any other team... I'm going to wait till they release him to get him because then I don't have to give up as as many assets. Yeah, I, I don't know. And also, they might not be on the hook for as much money. Uh, that might be the one way that the 49ers could get something of value back and saying, hey, you know, if you give us a third, we'll pay ah, X yeah. amount of Jimmy Garoppolo's contract to, to get him off the roster and at least recoup something for what you wanted originally in the first place. That, that could be something that I... I would see happening. Yeah, the Jeremy Fowler's story. Actually, this is Nick Wagner and Dan Graziano wrote this about Jeremy Fowler's report for ESPN. Here's the quote. Once this happens and Garoppolo can pass a physical, the trade market for him could heat up, end quote. Well, it could, but it's hard to imagine it getting too toasty right now. Let's hope it does for everybody's sake, but that's awfully hard to imagine. Yeah, and it's also important for Trey Lance, too. I mean, I know he's 
demonstrated to be you know, a consummate professional at this point in his career, and he's carried himself with a lot of class. But you don't want that distraction for him any longer than it has to be there. You don't want the, the shadow of Jimmy Garoppolo hanging over Trey Lance's scarlet red jersey. That just isn't something that's great in general, but it's also not fair to Trey Lance. So I think them trying to get out ahead and saying, I know they didn't put out a specific date yet, but I expect that to come in the near future after Garoppolo continues to throw and get more healthy because whether they release him, whether they trade him, he can't be on the roster because if not, then there's a question of, all right, well, what if Trey Lance struggles? Do you go back to Jimmy G? Like you, you kind of yeah. feed the machine if he's around too long. I don't agree with that. I understand your point, but my guess is, and I know exactly what you're saying, my guess is that they have assured Trey Lance that, look, he's here now. We're just trying to get something for him. He ain't coming back. I mean, I could be wrong. I understand what you're saying. If there's some question in Trey Lance's mind as to whether he's going to be dealing with Garoppolo again, that could be an issue for him. But my guess is the 49ers have all but assured him, look, we don't. he's not going to be here. You are the guy. Don't worry about that. We're just trying to make the team better. That's why he's still here. So that would be my guess, but we'll see. From the 510 here, and again, Comcast Business text line 888-957-9570. Uh, Browns want a professional quarterback. They'll pony up assets if Deshaun is suspended from someone else uh, someone else in the 510 i think cleveland already has jacoby Brissett. so yeah we don't know how much demand there's going to be for jimmy but to me that looks like the 49ers best chance at getting something for him is if deshaun watson faces an indefinite suspension remember the players union is going to push back on that by saying you want to do this to him what about what you did what about robert Kraft, one of the owners how can you let him go and you're going to suspend a player for a year so we don't know how that's going to turn out but if watson suspended that may be the best path for the 49ers to get in something finally for Jimmy Garoppolo I can't wait till he's traded so we can stop talking about it Evan yeah and, and I, I I don't get me wrong I think that will happen and will happen soon what what I meant is just like let's say God forbid but something in training camp happens to Trey Lance he suffers a setback he's an injury. yeah that's true and yeah. then and then Jimmy Garoppolo if he's still on the roster you're right you at least have to I mean, give him a, a look. You you have to, you know, just kind of at least have him be there and as an as an option as a backup. And it, I, I just think it, it would all get so messy if he's still around. If if something happened to Trey Lance or if he struggles early in camp, because Shanahan already knows what he has in Garoppolo. I just don't want to give him the temptation if if a situation like that came about. And there's also this: if I'm a team that may be interested in Jimmy. It's like, okay, I saw him throw a little bit, but he's coming off of surgery. How do I know that he's really okay? Yeah, you, you, you know, I went out there and I watched him throw for half an hour and he looked fine, but that's a whole different deal. We don't know how the surgically repaired shoulder is going to hold up. So the 49ers, that's why they still have him is because so many things uh, have worked against them being able to trade and create any demand for Jimmy Garoppolo. And he was never really a flamethrower in the exactly. first place. Exactly. So yeah. It's not like he's he's got a bazooka on that right shoulder that just needs a little bit of retuning. He's got more like a water gun at this point. Hmm. That 
By the way, that did surprise me a little bit. The last drive of the year when, you know, they're trailing fourth quarter against the Rams and they got the ball, what, at the 20-yard line, whatever it is. And I know that Jimmy, you know, gone above and beyond last year and playing hurt and helping the team through some tough situations. But given how far they had to get, and I know it was against the Rams in that pass rush, Jimmy could not throw, right? We knew he, he just can't throw the football very far. Why didn't they put Trey Lance in then? I guess they felt they owed it to Jimmy or maybe on some level they thought that Trey Lance has no chance against that pass rush. But I just felt watching it like, I don't think, Jimmy, there's no way physically he can get this done when you have to throw the ball. So it did surprise me a little that Trey Lance wasn't in at that point. And I want to see what he can do next year because he does have all of the tools. He has all of the ability. He has all of the situation necessary to be a successful quarterback. And I'm really hoping he can put it together because if he can, the 49ers are going to be scary next year. Coming up next, do we need to worry now about Debo again? And is Jimmy G the new Andy Dalton? That more next. Evan Giddings, Whitey Gleason, 95-7, the game. Now back to 95-7, the game. Tell you another thing I don't care for when it comes to Major League Baseball these days, Evan. It's Evan Giddings, Whitey Gleason, Dub G and E G. You know, on the back of the pitcher's mound now, they have ads, they have logos facing the center field camera. Do you really need that? I mean, do you need an ad there? It's not that big a deal, I guess. But I remember a time when we were subjected to that. And it's like, all right, enough with the logos on the uniforms. And, you know, I'll give you, baseball's always had the ads around the fences and in the outfield. But really, you need to put a logo on the back of the pitcher's mound? There was a time, Evan, as I'm sure, well, you probably remember, teams used to put, like, their team logos there. And I remember opening day... 2006 Giants had a guy Matt Morris and he's pitching in San Diego and the Padres had the logo back there Matt Morris like the first thing he does after he finishes his warm-ups he walks over to it and he takes his cleat and he (laughs) digs that thing out now it had no bearing on you know his footing or anything it was on the back of the mound I thought that was kind of cool (laughs) that a guy said yeah this is my mound I'm not having the other team's logo on there even though it was in San Diego Well, it's funny you bring up the Padres because I believe during the pandemic, and this is may this may be where these advertisements that have, I mean, just captured every single part of our screen come from. They were, I think, the first to actually put logos on the field, whether it be up the first base and third Mm. base side of the dugout. I know that they were trying to, you know, get as much sponsorship on the television without fans of the stands as they could. So maybe those darn dirty dads of yours are the Mm. reason that you have to look at some of those advertisements in a place that you just wouldn't think of. All right. I get it. Enough is enough. And I know you got to make your money and all that, but it just sometimes it just seems a little excessive. And let me me be honest with you. There's a part of me that still feels like it's a little intrusive that you have the outline of the strike zone constantly on the screen, right? I know sometimes it's fun, but it's up there all the time now. And the old school baseball fan in me is not crazy about that because there was a time when we didn't need you, you superimposed strike zone. It's still pretty recent, too. Like the first yeah. time I remember it was, I think it was the 2015 postseason because I remember the Mets, you know, when they had Cindergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Mats, and Zach Wheeler. I, th- mm. I think they, they had a series against the Dodgers, and I was watching it at this bar when I was I was still in Oregon, 
And, you know, another old school baseball fan, similar to yourself, comes up and says, hey there, young fellow. Like, I just I just got to ask, <laughs> you know, what, what, what do you think about the strike zone being on TV? Because side by side with the baseball games on right now, you have the MLB game, which has the strike zone. It's on the screen. It's dialed up. And on the right is the college baseball world series which doesn't have that strike zone Ah. and i forgot how much i missed it whitey i just got so used to it being on the screen that i never thought about it but now that i have the comparison side by side i don't need that strikes i don't need the k zone there anymore right and it's not like the umpires see it anyway so i mean we know that just because it's in that box does not necessarily mean it's a strike anyway it's just another reason for us to be mad at umpires and as we've learned over the course of this season, especially with the Warriors, the rest, they don't deserve all the vitriol that comes their way, even when sometimes they make bad calls. And this just highlights the bad calls that they make. Even if it's like a, a call that's an inch or two outside, people are up and, oh, that's a terrible, that's a terrible right. call. They right. can't see what he's talking about. He's calling strikes you know, outside the zone. He's giving the pitcher too much. Whereas if the strike zone wasn't there, You'd probably be watching the pitcher saying, man, he's really painting the corners today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how are you on uh, on replay, or where are you on instant replay in baseball? I do see the reason for it, although yesterday, I have to admit, being at the Giants game, there was a play down the left field line. Jock Peterson, in poetic form, hits a ball past Tommy Pham, who dives for it, does not come up with the ball, and it's clearly fair, but some umpire... Missed the call, called it foul, and so we go to replay. And from that perspective, I'm very happy that they could get the call right, that they made sure that Jock Peterson got that ball, got his double, and snuck it past one Tommy Pham. Mm-hmm. You could call it maybe even a slap hit by Jock yeah, Peterson. Sure. But then they take like 10 minutes to do the right. replay. Like right. You can all see it on the big screen. It's a fair ball. Just wrap this thing up and get back to the game. Sometimes in those instances, I really think that you don't need replay. What you need is one of the other umpires, in this case, presumably, what uh, would be the home plate ump or third base ump, whichever one missed it, just say, hey, 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 that was a fair ball. Okay, I saw it. I did. You probably didn't see it. It's definitely a fair ball, okay? All right, yeah, fair ball, right? I mean, if the umps get together, I think they can take care of some of that nonsense without having to go to replay. Well, that's that's my question too. Is okay. So, who's in Secaucus that is that is needs you know fifteen different angles to confirm what everyone in a you know whether it be a sober or drunken haze at the ballpark can see for themselves? <laughs> like it's up on the big screen. We've seen seven yeah. different replays all within a span of thirty seconds. Uh, it can be misleading. Two minutes. The video can be misleading. There, Evan. We need to get another angle. Yeah, and everybody needs to be in Secaucus, right? Baseball, basketball, they all need to just, everybody needs to do that. Uh, Secaucus needs to be the capital of that. Actually, I do think the MLB replay headquarters is here in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's that. all right. I went with Secaucus like, it should be. I don't know if it is, but it should be. I just love that city. Yeah. It's a great name. Yes, me too. What's the deal with Debo Samuel? I know that here we are talking about how umpires raise our blood pressure. 49er fans have finally gotten to a point here on Debo where a few months ago it was, oh, man, are they going to trade him? And it's like, okay, I think everything's okay. Now we hear today from Jeremy Fowler this report about Debo and the trade request. Before we get any further into it, where are you with this? Because I am not ready to overreact to this today, Evan. I'm not either. I'm kind of... In the, I have the same type of energy for this story as I do for the Jimmy Garoppolo news that came out yesterday. I don't really see it changing anything that I thought prior 
to today or or yesterday in the case of Jimmy G. So when Fowler released that news this morning, you know, I, I might have turned a little bit of an eye towards it and thought it was interesting. But honestly, it was just a reminder to me that, yes, Debo Samuel is still questioning his future with the 49ers, which is something that I already knew. It doesn't make me feel like the, the 49ers need more of a sense of urgency, nor do they have more of a sense of urgency. Um, but it could be the personal PR game for Debo, similar to how the 49ers want to remind people that Jimmy G is still getting ready. He will still be you know, someone that you can go out and acquire and get and be a serviceable, serviceable quarterback, pardon me, that Debo is also out you kind of went off. You he went off Kendrick Perkins on us there for a minute. <laughs> Moody Moses, Moody Moses. Blah, blah, blah. Sorry, Whitey, these are rented lips. You should know that. No, no, no. That's all good. I just uh, I know that he had another one of those moments during the draft with the OG and Anobi, and it came out like something sent like Manu Ginobili, and it was so bad. Uh, I think uh, Kendra Andrews even. You know, that's always difficult. Uh, I would assume when you're on TV with someone like that and they have that meltdown. Do I? acknowledge that or do we just move on and it was so egregious that she decided yeah we had to mention that i don't know why that guy's on tv evan malika andrews is way too nice to kendrick perkins when he's right and when he's wrong and he's not right very often but especially when he starts to kind of stumble through those names i think he called him like OG Anna Ginobili and so, Anna yeah. Ginobili. <laughs> yeah, something like that. He we kept, have it somewhere, but yeah, yeah. And he kept going back and forth, like, <laughs> you know, similar to I was trying to find the word serviceable. He was trying to find the word Ananobi and couldn't do it. Just could not muster up enough syllability to mm-hmm. be able to get it out of his mouth. And so Malika Andrews, I, I I credit her for sticking with him, not only the other day, but all season because, my God, like, I know he's in the headlines all the time and, and Perk is – an entertainer with the best of them, but like, there's got to be a line that you can draw. I mean, I, no, I'm with you, and I don't blame him. He does what he does, and they say do this some more. And he's also on, I think, locally in Boston. So you know, if someone says come on the TV and do what you do, and we'll give you money, I don't blame him for going. Okay, but can't somebody realize he's not very good? <laughs> he no. doesn't really improve your broadcast. Why do you want that? I guess because he brings viewers, but I'd be interested to see if that's even the case. Like people, I think click on what he says on social media, and you know they they see okay. the quick highlights and and yeah. those hot takes that he brings. But it, it, I'm not one of them. It's not. It's not. Whenever I see Perkins, it's more of a turnoff for me than mm-hmm. hey, I got to go check out what what Big Perk said today about the Warriors or the Celtics. I mean, maybe he's better on local television where he gets to sort of be more in, in his Celtics lane because I would assume that that's the team he follows most closely. But you know, on a big stage, the difference between Kendrick Perkins and Patrick Beverly is a, a fine line. I mean, maybe a pencil-thin line. And Draymond's destroying him on, on Twitter. Okay, um, on that note, back to Wiggins, or in this case, back to Debo, and that that's on me. Here's Jeremy Fowler, I think, is guilty of a, maybe not a flagrant one, but this is a foul. Jeremy Fowler's a fine reporter, but he said what he said on SportsCenter. And listen to this follow-up tweet, Evan. Quote, mentioned on SportsCenter, they say, M, that there's been no official rescission of the trade request, at least that I'm aware of. But he did show up for minicamp, which is a positive, and there's not a lot of league-wide chatter about a potential trade right now. End quote. In other words... You have nothing. 
Nothing. There's been no official rescission of the trade request, at least that I'm aware of. What? Why did you say anything about this then? It's interesting that report goes next to this story because it's not much of a report if you don't know. Like that's <laughs> exactly. that's the whole point of a report, right? So yeah, for me and and also for just in general, for someone in Debo Samuel who for you know is apparently doesn't want to be on the team or wants a trade of this that and the other, he kind of see he's not acting like it like. His actions don't really match whatever the tweets or the words that are coming from people in his camp or, or quote-unquote reporters around his camp. And so for me, as long as I see him in minicamp, as long as I see him still showing up, like he hasn't gone full diva yet. Right. And that's what I'm waiting for. That's when my you know kind of blinders will be raised and I'll actually be worried that he's not going to be on the team next year. Yeah, I think it's it's... It's atypical for it to go in a way where the player is really outwardly upset and then things are okay and then he becomes really visibly upset again. It could happen, but I'm surprised that this is an issue. I wonder where this is coming from because we thought Debo and the 49ers were basically, if not on the same page, at least in the same book again. So I'm not worried. Um, I know it's still a little bit of a delicate dance, but all indications to me, Evan, are that both sides are reasonably pleased with where they are on this situation, at least in the short term. So you think they've come closer as far as a figure is concerned? Because I, it, it's always about the money, right? And Debo wanted allegedly more in the $25 million range. The Niners' first offer was below 20, and they wanted... So, so you're, you're taking from this and, and most of the Debo's stories or reports that they're coming together, like they're closer to finding middle ground on a number. That's what I'm taking. Yeah, whatever it was that he was most upset about, and obviously you're right, it basically comes down to money in all cases but there are other issues here we think as far as whether he's going to be running the ball as much as he did and how he feels about that given the fact that he was in camp and we haven't heard anything tells me that this is headed in the right direction could still go sideways but he was so upset uh sounds to me like the 49ers have found a way to placate him so i think bottom line i think their most likely outcome is that he's going to stay with the 49ers yeah, I think it's much to do about nothing with a lot of these offseason stories. And unfortunately for the 49ers, because they don't have the cap space to go out and make a big splash in free agency or, or you know swing a big trade to bring in another marquee player, these are the stories that are going to capture the headlines surrounding the team. Uh, but I, I think they're in a great spot, kind of similar to the Warriors in last offseason where I think a lot of people saw the NFC Championship loss and think that, okay, all you need is another player to get you over the top and maybe an additional piece. But I, I say don't don't mix with the rest or don't mess with the recipe. Like right now, Debo is number one priority. It I, I know that he did request a trade, but it, it's all to me just kind of cat and mouse. He's trying to negotiate to get right. what he wants more so than wanting to be gone. And I think all sides will come to an agreement sooner rather than later because Debo wants to be on the field, the Niners want him on the field, and I sure as hell want him on the field if I'm a fan of the team because he is dynamic and he's going to give so much to Trey Lance, who needs a lot entering his first full season at quarterback. Maybe it was that simple, to your point, Evan. Maybe it was just a matter of the 49ers sitting down with him and saying, look, what you're doing here, Debo, 
we understand what you want and why you're doing this, but what you're doing is not going to make it any more likely that you get what you want. It makes everybody look bad. Don't know what kind of advice you're getting. So you really need, for your sake as well as ours, just don't do that. We'll address these things, but maybe it was that simple. Maybe someone convinced him that, understand why you're doing this, but it's not actually helping you, Debo. And maybe he said it came around to, all right, well, I, we, I got some concerns here, but all right, I'll, uh, I'll stop making such a big deal about this. And maybe that's his only way to remind us of those concerns that he had in the first place. And so I doubt that much has changed, but this is, again, him. Uh, I, I don't know if, if his team is the one that, you know, talked to Fowler or, or apparently didn't because he, he does know, but he doesn't know, and he's trying to still right. figure it out. Not that I know of. Not that I know of. <laughs> maybe if kind of, but I... Uh. So... <laughs> <laughs> Debo is just trying to, I think, send a message. And I don't really know what other means he has to get that message across, unfortunately, because players in football without guaranteed contracts aren't really in positions of power to be able to negotiate like that. And that's sort of a weapon for you to use. Even the people don't like it. So maybe this is just another way, not of him doubling down, but saying, hey, you know, like, don't forget about me. I'm still here. I still want to get paid. And I just want to remind you of what I did do previously to let you know how unhappy I was. Real quick note here again on Jimmy Garoppolo. I mentioned he and Andy Dalton in the same sentence before we went to break. Do you know who, uh, let's see, make sure I get his name right, NFL Network, Dan Hansis. Do you know who Dan Hansis is? Have you heard of him? He's a writer. I haven't, but it sounds like he's a fan of the Red Rifle. Yeah, well, not really. Oh. <laughs> He's come up with the Dalton scale. And what that is, is he says there was a time, and it's not necessarily true now because Andy Dalton's not the player that he once was, but the Dalton scale is where um, Dalton is basically the prime meridian of NFL quarterbacks. That is, he used to look at it this way. If you had a quarterback who was better than Andy Dalton, you're in good shape. If you have a quarterback who's worse than Andy Dalton, you're in trouble. The Dalton scale. And now he says, you know, that doesn't really apply to Andy Dalton anymore. So Dan Hansis is looking for the, the current quarterback who is that guy, where if you have a quarterback better than this guy, okay, you're fine or, or you know, better than fine. And if you have a guy who's worse than this quarterback, then you're in trouble. And Jimmy is one of the candidates that he has. But here's his uh, finalist for the, that guy, the new Dalton in the Dalton scale, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Jalen Hurts, then he's also got Matt Ryan, Tua Tungavailoa, Ryan Tannehill, and Jameis. So Dan Hanses says those are the candidates for the quarterback who defines really where you are. Is your quarterback better than that guy? You're in good shape. Worse than that guy? You're in trouble. Ultimately, he says it comes down to the winner or loser is Ryan Tannehill. So Dan Hanses says, not Jimmy, but Ryan Tannehill is the new Andy Dalton. If you got a quarterback better than him, you're good. Worse than him, you got problems. I actually really like that, and I like that Garoppolo is kind of involved in that because that's sort of how I see him as as well. You know, he's he's not as as skilled, uh, but all all he's done in, in his career, whether it be to the surroundings or his you know unique ability, like he's he's won. He's a 33 and 14 quarterback at his core. And so I think it's maybe unfair to put him as the new Dalton. But then again, Andy Dalton had some good years in Cincinnati. Right, and really good years. to the playoffs. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I kind of see where he's getting at. My, my follow-up question would be, okay, well, so if you're above 
Dalton, if you're above Tannehill, does that make you a contender or you're just in the top half of quarterbacks and the ones below are in the bottom 15? It means that you don't have a problem. It's kind of rounding off the corners of what you're asking, but basically it means if your guy's better than that, then you got a good quarterback. I mean, you may want to get a better one, but you're good. You're in good shape or, or better. By the way, to your point about Dalton, uh, let's see. 35,279 yards, 226 touchdowns, three times in the Pro Bowl, and in each of his first five seasons, he took the Bengals. He took the Bengals to the playoffs. 2016, Dalton was ranked number 35 in NFL Network's top 100 players. But you look at what happened once he got to the postseason, and basically it came down to, huh, this guy, for for all his numbers, is limited, and that's why Andy Dalton was seen as kind of the kind of mediocre uh, among uh, quarterbacks. Okay, I see that, and and there will definitely be some revisionist history around Andy Dalton compared to how he started his (laughs) career. Right. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I am with you there. I do think that is that that's that's a good metric. Then Tannehill would be a solid pick. I think Kirk Cousins is a little bit better than people give him credit for. Me too. Um, yeah, I mean statistically watching him, I know that he you know has had flameouts and tough moments, but I, I think you can still win with him. And honestly, if if he was available last year, he might be on the 49ers at this point. Uh, with the way that Shanahan loves him, so I I like that metric. And but 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 then my thing is, a lot of people don't necessarily consider a lot of quarterbacks good. You know, like what is a good quarterback? I would consider, for example, Derek Carr to be a good quarterback. I would consider Kirk Cousins to be a good quarterback. But if those guys are seen as sort of middle tier, I mean, you could make a, a case that either of them is a problem. If you're if you're trying to you know make the postseason, if you're trying to get over the hump of, of the getting to the playoffs, winning a playoff game, you could make the argument that neither of those guys are those dudes. Uh, and so Tannehill, Tannehill is probably where I why, where I would fall to. I think Cousins is the new Dalton. I agree with you. I think Cousins at times has been better than people give him credit for. But just look at this. Last year he was eight and eight. Right? Do you know what he is for his career? And I know that quarterback win loss can be misleading, but for his career, do you know what uh, Kirk Cousins is? Is he five hundred? Fifty nine, fifty nine, and two. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't I love that the two amazing? ties. Yeah. Yes, he's got a passer rating of one hundred three point five. So, wow, one hundred twenty four touchdowns. But for his career, fifty nine, fifty nine. And two. To me, he's that guy. If your quarterback's better than him, you got a good quarterback. If your quarterback is not as good as Kirk Cousins, you got a problem. Question is, where's Trey Lance going to fit on all of that? Evan, how confident are you that he's going to be on the plus side of the Kirk Cousins scale next year? I think he can be on the plus side of the win column with, 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 with the number that you just gave us at 500 for Kirk Cousins. I don't know if he will be as statistically good of a quarterback Partially also because Kirk Cousins has two of the better wide receivers in the league and has always had offensive weapons at his disposal. I know Trey Lance is hopefully going to get Debo back. He's got a good running game. He's got a good O-line. He's got a good defense. And so I think the measurement for a player like Trey Lance and and a lot of young players to me should be more so, okay, how are you contributing to wins? Are Are you the reason that we're winning or the reason that we're not? Where do you kind of fit? And so Trey Lance honestly could be the guy that is the new Andy Dalton in the near future in the sense of 
We don't really know if he's good. We don't really know if he's bad. We got to see it first and lay it out. But I have confidence that he will at least contribute to winning more. Well, I'll say at the same level, if not more than Jimmy Garoppolo has, because I think he has more talent. Frightening thought, but it makes sense. Coming up, we bounce back to the world champion Warriors. Tell you about the legend. We will name the legend that Steph has just surpassed in the all-time rankings. That's next. Kevin Michael, Whitey Gleason, Evan Giddings, 95.7 The Game.